0: Welcome to AUKUS Amplified from the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons. We're advancing hip and knee patient care through education, advocacy, and research.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to AUKUS Amplified, a production of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons. I'm Dr. Kim Tucker. I'm an arthroplasty surgeon in Arizona, and I'm here representing the Women in Arthroplasty Committee for AUKUS. I've been in practice for about 12 years now, and I'm in a hospital-based practice here in Tucson, Arizona. Today, we are going to have a conversation about the stress and anxiety that COVID-19 has caused in our personal and professional lives, and we will go over some strategies for management and self-care given the situation. I'd like to welcome our three guests today. Our first guest is Dr. Mari Ricker,
2: Hey, Kim. Thanks for having me. My name is Mari Ricker, and I'm Associate Professor of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Arizona College of Medicine here in Tucson. And I'm faculty at the college and teaching medical students and in the residency. I've been in practice for 15 years. And right now, my practice is mostly outpatient family medicine. And I'm also the Director of Integrative Medicine in residency at the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine.
1: Our second guest is Dr. Nick Millador.
0: Hi, uh, my name is Nick Millador. I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan. I'm an arthroplasty surgeon uh, here uh, at Ascension Borges Hospital. I am also affiliated with Western Michigan University, Homer Stryker MD, School of Medicine, Orthopedic Surgery Residency, where I'm on teaching faculty. I've been in practice for a year and a half. I have, at my hospital, nine other partners. Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for being here. Our third
3: guest is Dr. Rena Jane. Thank you very much for having me as well. I am an arthroplasty surgeon here in San Diego, California. I'm actually in private practice with a group of about 20 surgeons, and we are spread over nine independently run offices. In my office, we have three surgeons. I also have an affiliation with UCSD and a teaching appointment at the VA, so I get some interaction with the residents. I have now been in practice for almost 21 years, and I can't believe time really does fly.
1: First, uh, I'd like to thank you all so much for taking time to talk with me today. I just want to give a brief introduction to our topic and then we'll get into some discussions. So, COVID 19 has led to an unprecedented situation within our healthcare system. It has led to a reorganization of our medical system in areas with large sick populations. It has led to shortages of personal protective equipment. It has also left many of us who are in smaller, non academic practices on the sidelines. It has led to the cancellation of our elective surgeries, including hip and knee replacements. It has also led to the cancellation of the majority of our orthopedic partners surgeries as well. We have decreased our clinic hours, implemented telemedicine when we can, and have been required to take call in a hospital where the virus is present. Our children's schools have been canceled. Some of our spouses or partners have had job losses or substantial job changes. This situation has affected us both professionally and personally, and aside from the obvious revenue losses within our practices, this situation has taken a real toll on us in many other ways, and that's what I'd really like to focus on today. So over the last few weeks, I know I've gone through a litany of emotions, including being terrified of getting sick or having a loved one or friend get sick. I've been stressed out about lack of work. I've been feeling helpless. I want to start off with just a discussion on how have you guys all been feeling about this? going to start maybe Rena.
3: There's just been a lot of anxiety going on, not only, you know, with us of course, afraid of catching this disease, of passing it on to others. I'm worried about bringing it home to my family. I have an elderly mother as well, and I'm literally staying away from her. Our patients are calling us. They're terrified. Most of my patients, of course, are older. We do arthroplasties generally. And people above the age of 60 or 65, a lot of them have the comorbidities that are listed as being susceptible to getting a severe form of the disease. So everyone is just really worried. So I'd say anxiety and fear are the two things that really, really
1: affect us. Definitely. How about you, Nick? How has it been for you over the last few weeks?
0: At first, it was... The unknown of what was going to happen to our hospital system, to my practice, to the office staff that I work with, and to my family. My wife's a vascular surgeon, and she has been impacted by this as well. And on top of that, when this all first came down, she was still pregnant this past Saturday, April 18th, We just had our first kid and she's a girl. She's great. Her name's Aiden. And that was scary for us because we didn't really know what was going to happen. I didn't want to get the virus. Obviously, Julia didn't want to get the virus and bring it home and maybe have to quarantine from our child. And so my partners actually talked a lot about that with me at our meetings. And I was taking trauma call at the beginning. That's what we do. And they decided that they would take all of my trauma call for me uh, at some point during the process just because they felt it just wasn't worth it for me to get it and not be able to see my child for 14 days if that were to happen. So they've been really supportive and it's just been a roller coaster of emotions for sure.
1: First off, congratulations on your new Thank baby, you. but that's amazing that your partners have been so supportive of you. I don't know if we've all had similar experiences, but it's so been, cool.
0: Yeah, it's been really an incredible thing to see from you know, obviously I'm on the inside of it, but even talking to my brother, who's an orthopedic surgeon as well back home and seeing his practice dynamic, you know, he's a private practice. So it's just been very different, uh, even from state to state and person to person. So.
1: Well, thank you for that. How about you, Dr. Ricker? How's it been for you over the last few weeks?
2: You guys have really expressed a lot of the emotions that I've been feeling. I think for me, there was a lot of adrenaline at the beginning. We sort of had to reinvent our clinical work. And so I spent a lot of energy focused on that. And I think was able to put off some of the other emotions that have started descending upon me now that we're sort of shifting into, oh, this is long-term. This is a marathon. We need to get through this. And so That shift has, I think, brought in a lot of, I mean, for me, grief, thinking about all the things that have changed, sort of loss of normal life as we know it. I think being an extrovert, being by myself a lot has been sort of lonely, doing a lot of telehealth and I hate it. I'm really glad that I'm protecting patients from coming into the office, but it's not my favorite medium. So those are some of the feelings that I've had, Nick. I was really touched by how your team like really protected you, but I had a similar experience, but had different mixed emotions because my older daughter has had a congenital heart defect and has had heart surgery and is healthy now. But at the very beginning, I was relegated to telehealth. Our team is providing inpatient care to the COVID team in the hospital, outpatient care to respiratory patients and as well as well patients and telehealth and the leadership said, well, you know, your daughter is really high risk. I don't want to put you at risk and her at risk. And for the first couple of weeks, I kept watching my colleagues do this amazing work. And I felt really guilty that I wasn't there doing the work that they were doing. And also I think as physicians have this drive to help, which gives us meaning. And so as grateful as I was, I also felt a lot of guilt around that too.
0: Yes. I felt the same way. I had a few meetings with the partners before I decided to not take call just because I was really torn between, like you said, helping. I mean, we just, this is what we do. And then also the family side of things. And so I really had the same feelings. Ultimately, I felt that this was best for my family and it was tough to do. I totally agree.
1: One thing I wanted to discuss with you guys is that it seems that the hospital administrations are really scrambling to get a hold of this situation. And I've been really frustrated by some of that. I've been frustrated by um, lack of control of that situation and by the impact that it's having on our staff, especially. We've had to cut staff hours, that kind of thing. Have you guys had similar experiences?
3: I mean, certainly in private practice, we have had to cut staff. We have about twelve employees among the three doctors in my office. We've had to lay off five people, and the other seven remaining people. Well, one is the office manager; she's on salary and she's just always working. But the other people, we've cut them to about half the hours that they normally used to work. Of course, we've applied for paycheck protection programs, small business loans, anything that we can get our hands on in order to continue to support the practice. Fortunately, we just got approval for some of the money so I think starting next week we will be bringing some of our staff back and there is now an order in California that we can start opening up for elective surgeries but we don't know where that's going to go because we don't have the testing in place to proceed right now but yeah it's definitely had a huge impact I don't know if when we are fully ready to go back to a regular office if those staff will be available or if they've taken jobs elsewhere like it. Amazon is delivery drivers, which I understand they have to do what they have to
2: do to make ends meet. We've had longer term furloughs and shorter term furloughs for both our academic staff and our clinical staff. And it's been really hard. I think we care about our patients, but we also care about our teams that we work with there, our families as well. And it sort of brings to mind a concept that's talked about in the setting of physician well-being and physician burnout called moral injury, where it's sort of when there's this values conflict between your personal values as a physician and the values of healthcare writ large or your organization. And I think all the feelings you're describing, Kim, of the lack of PPE and communication with organizations, as well as having to furlough staff is just it's it brings up that moral injury. It's not what you want to be doing. It's not how you want to be caring for people that you work closely with. And it's been painful. It's been really painful not being able to take care of them in the way that you'd like to. I think so too.
0: I think being a part of Ascension Hospital System, it's actually been pretty good. I think they send daily updates as far as their plan and their PPE breakdown of every different hospital that's in the system. And so that's been really good and really nice to see kind of where we're at with all those things. What's been the painful, as Rina and Mary have both said, is that this has been challenging to see what happens to staff. So a lot of our office staff has been furloughed just because our patient volume has gone down because we're telling patients, if you don't need to come, don't don't come. Or We're doing telehealth visits or phone call visits. And so that's been challenging to see. At first, I was still trying to see patients in the office because I wanted my MAs and I wanted the staff and the x-ray techs to all be working because I know they want to. But as time went along, it just got harder and harder to, to justify bringing patients in. And so due to that, burlows were made, et cetera, so.
1: Yeah, it's really hard and it really does hurt. Like you said, these people are part of our community and it's, uh, I think, a hard transition to make. If Dr. Jane and Dr. Millador, if you guys have been in the operating room, how has that made you feel with all the new protocols and with the fears that you're getting from the anesthesiologists and stuff like that? Nick, like, do you wanna start?
0: So I operated kind of early in this process. And then again, I was taken out of the call pool. So the last day of my elective procedures was the day before they decided to shut everything down for elective procedures. And that was just an odd day. I had my day of total joint replacement and my team just seemed down about the whole thing. I felt like almost as though I was like going into retirement or something. Cause like, I don't know when I'll see you guys again. They said we had 45 days of no elective surgery. So we'll see you later. About a week later, I did a trauma case on a weekend. And at that point, anesthesia really hadn't put in place the robust protocols that we see now. And so I didn't really have to experience that. But I know my partners are having their patients, if they're COVID positive, they have to be intubated in the ICU. Or if they're a patient under investigation, the intubation happens with just the anesthesia team. They wait 30 minutes prior to starting the, the procedure and then extubation happens and the patient doesn't leave the room for 30 minutes. So it yeah. definitely adds to the stress of trying to get through your day and trying to do things efficiently. But at the same time, you're protecting yourself, you're protecting the patient, you're protecting the whole team. So
1: Definitely. I found also that this transition from normalcy to being totally abnormal went really quickly too. Like we were actually about two weeks before this kind of joking around in the OR about going to Costco and getting toilet paper and wearing our hoods. Then two weeks later, we're not operating and we're not even seeing these Mm -hmm. folks. And I think that was a really very quick transition and pretty stressful and just very rapid change for all of us.
3: But yeah, exactly. It has been. And it's just remarkable how quickly we have adapted. And I've just been amazed at how everyone just wants to step up and help and in the operating room. I've only just been doing some trauma cases. I did an infected knee replacement as well. And everyone just really pulled together to really, really help each other out. I mean, to the point of you know, everyone has to wear an N95 mask. It is mandatory. Then you put another mask on top of that. Then we wear our big bubble hoods with this. The anesthesiologists are, of course, most at risk. And, you know, we want to make sure that they are protected. My husband's an anesthesiologist as well. So it's like, I really, really feel your pain. I wish we could do more to help them because they really are putting themselves at risk. But they've all stepped up. No one has said, no, I'm not going to cases. So I was like, wow, that just makes me realize, okay, I'm here too. I'm going to help out whatever I can. And fortunately, the hospitals where I work, they are providing adequate equipment for us. Luckily, San Diego hasn't been hit with a surge like in New York City, thankfully. But I mean, we're always just kind of really doing everything we can to stay safe. And we tell our patients that. The sad thing though has been for patients, there are no visitors allowed Anywhere. A lot of their hip fractures, they're mostly older patients. Some of them do have cognitive impairment and they cannot be with their loved ones. And seeing somebody on an iPhone or an iPad, it just doesn't take the place of having your family right there with you. So that's been hard
0: too. Yeah, that was my same experience. The last case that I did was a prosthetic femur fracture, and she was an older patient with cognitive deficits. And it was tough without family there to help even just regulate, help regulate daytime, nighttime, or simple things as feeding or just being around. And so learning to have to call the family every day and kind of discuss somebody that they can't even see over the phone. And really, it was challenging. It was very challenging. I always thought that at the end of the day, if we could say that we overreacted with all these different things and we get on the other side of it and we say, wow, we did a lot of things and not much happened." But that was the best case scenario. And that's has been challenging for me to accept as well as a lot of providers, I'm sure. But that's always kind of what I thought. I don't know if anybody else felt that way
3: exactly. We kind of do that with surgery. Anyways, we always prepare for the worst and hope for the best. It's like when I was, you know, doing my residency and preparing for my final exams at the end of residency or preparing for the board exams. It's like, okay, what are they going to hit me with? They're going to hit me with a, I'm doing a total hip replacement and I cut the femoral artery. What do you do? What do you do? Always prepare for the worst case scenario. It's like, yep, I can do this. We can handle this. And so I think we're kind of approaching it the same way. And hopefully we will never get to the worst case scenario. Although I know some parts of the country have already experienced the worst and hopefully we're going to learn from their lessons and continue to do the good things. And every day the information keeps changing. It's like, okay, well, is it okay to wear the N95 or do we just wear a regular mask or do we have to wipe down our groceries? What do we do? We just seem to be getting flooded with information. But yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, if we've done
1: too much, that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd like to go back to those days where I don't spray my shoes with Lysol when I get home and I don't wipe off my groceries though. That'd be really good. (laughs) Yes. Definitely. So at this point, I'd like to turn our focus uh, to some of the personal stresses that we've experienced associated with the COVID-19 situation. I'd like to just dis- start with a discussion of what your at-home situation looks like. And I know, Nick, we talked about this briefly the other day with your wife being pregnant and having a baby during this. How did that go for you? I mean, were you nervous about that with regards to being able to hang out with her in the, in the delivery room and all that kind of stuff? How did that go for you guys?
0: Yeah, she's a vascular surgeon. So it went from her operating during this time, and doing surgeries, being pregnant to her partners, as well as my partner saying, you guys are both done. And then it became, okay, we kind of just want to have this baby before it gets quote unquote bad in our area. uh, So I can be in the delivery room so that we could just all three be at home and try and stay as healthy as possible. So we weren't sure if I was going to be allowed in the delivery room. Ultimately, I was, which was great. But during the delivery, I had to wear N95 masks and gowns. And the OB team was in N95 mask gowns, as well as face shields. And it actually was good to see, but at the same time, meet your baby
1: Dr. Ricker, you mentioned that homeschooling your daughters has been a bit of a challenge. And I know a lot of us are dealing with homeschooling and having the kids around and not having childcare and that kind of stuff. How's that been going for you?
2: Well, as you just saw a moment ago, one of my children came to interact with us all during this call. I think it's hard for our kids seeing us at home that we're not here to engage with them necessarily. I'm working you know, 90% of the time when I'm here during the day and the homeschooling, God bless our teachers. Like they are amazing and have turned the same way we have turned our clinics into telehealth. They have taken schooling and putting it, put it all online. Um, But navigating that with our children has been super challenging. Uh, We've gone from, um, one week where we had like a super week, we were on a schedule. And then the next week, I thought the kids were sort of cruising along on their own only to discover that they were essentially on YouTube 98% of the day. So this week, we've tried a different strategy. But I think when it comes down to it is, this has been hard on all of us. It's hard on the kids too. And they're not necessarily showing up to school with the same abilities and emotions that they usually show up with. And they're sad that they're not going to go back to school this year. They're missing out on their fifth grade promotion and their fifth grade camp and, uh, you know, all of their interactions. And so not just the schooling itself, but the ups and downs of that the kids are going through has been a huge factor.
1: Yeah, certainly mine too. I have a six and an eight year old and, at first they were having a lot of fun. They thought this was gonna be really cool, but at this point they're not getting along all the time and just having trouble figuring out things to do. And they kind of just don't get it. They call it the stupid virus and they don't understand why we can't why they can't hang out with their friends or why they can't go to the park. And it's frustrating because you try to explain it, but they're still just so young it's hard to get across how dangerous this could be for our family members I just have also found that I have started off with these like pressures on myself to maintain certain parenting standards and that those have (laughs) lessened substantially over this last few weeks Um, we started (laughs) a pretty viral pandemic we would have like minimal screen time and stuff and now we're kind of joking around that it's uh it's somewhat of a free-for-all on some days. I read this quote the other day and it it was, I feel like I'm doing everything poorly and have no energy to focus on anything. (laughs) And on those days, I don't really show up for being a great parent either. And I think that's been frustrating because I know a lot of us are pretty type A personalities and I'm used to kind of doing everything pretty darn well. And, you know, to be frustrated with how I'm Feeling and how I'm treating my kids and how I'm treating myself is just, it's been a hard situation.
2: My 11 year old said to me the other day, she just really upset and she said, I get energy from other people, mom, and I go to sleep and I sleep longer and I wake up and I just don't even feel good. I don't, I don't feel like I can do any of the things. And she's describing everything that some of us are feeling, especially the extroverts. And yeah, it's been really challenging. And I think, You know, a concept that we talk about in sort of well-being is that self-compassion and setting realistic expectations for yourself and cutting yourself a little slack when you're not 110% and succeeding at everything and um, having that adjustment. It's a hard thing to do, but it can help sometimes when you give that compassion to yourself that you would give to others.
3: We feed on the energy of other people. I mean, it's been such a huge adjustment not being able to see people, even though, I mean, we're doing Zoom meetings, we're doing all sorts of stuff. The biggest adjustment for me has been the decreased interaction with my family, I mean, at first when this virus came about, we're all terrified, you know, because I don't want to give this to my mother who's older. I've got a two-year-old nephew and a four-year-old niece, and thankfully children don't seem to be hit as worse with the virus, but I'm the one who's exposed when I have to go to the hospital so I could potentially become a carrier for this. So I literally have my N95 mask with me at all times so that whenever I'm around them, I quickly put that on, scrubbing my hands, doing everything that I can. And as we've kind of gotten more knowledge about this virus and uh, how it's transmitted. I'm sort of been let back of the family a little bit more, but it's been hard to see them not go to their regular activities like karate class, gymnastics, dance class. And we've tried to do some stuff online, but it really isn't a substitute for them being able to play with other children. You need that human interaction, that physical interaction and see how they develop. And I worry that at this young age, are they going to be able to bounce back. At first we thought, this is just going to be a few weeks. It's going to be over in a few weeks, a few months. And now it's like, oh, it's going to be maybe a year, maybe longer because there's not going to be a vaccine available at least until then. What's going to happen to their formative years as they develop? I mean, as adults, we're kind of finished our cognitive development, so to speak. But what about for the kids? I don't know. What are they going to do if they have to do an online school for a year?
2: Hey, what are um,
0: the parents going to do if they have to seriously. go my school for a year? can't imagine.
1: We're going crazy. Nick, I want to talk to you. You guys are both physicians. I mean, what's your plan for childcare? I mean, that's something that I think uh, everybody's worried about as well. So those of us who have school-aged children, we're hoping that they're going to go back to school in the fall. But do you guys have a plan or is this something that you've thought about and discussed a bunch?
0: That's a great question. And so we decided we were going to go the nanny route, but that's basically been put on hold.
1: Most of us have had pretty substantial changes in our routines and are spending a lot more time at home. Have you noticed differences in your relationship with your spouse or your partner? And have you had any different roles at home? Are you the cook? Are you the cleaner? Are you the housekeeper that you, you know, is this a a new thing for all of you guys? Because I know it has been in our house.
3: And well, certainly I'm doing a lot more cleaning. My husband and I sort of split it up equally anyways. I mean, he's such a neat freak, thank goodness. And there's always places always nice and neat. But I'm noticing dust much more often. I think just from being at home, we're all <laughs> getting dust cells or something like that. And I obviously I have a lot more time on my hands I'm thinking, you know, what? I'm going to clean. And my husband says, but you just cleaned that yesterday, Well, I'm going to do it again, I need to vacuum, it just <laughs> gives me something to do makes me feel like I'm in control. I'm also trying to like build shelves, cabinets, anything. It's like I miss orthopedic surgery so much that I feel like I need to work with tools again. So at least it gives me that tactile feeling I'm doing something and contributing to the cause. I thought, well, at least the house will be clean if I, if nothing else.
1: I totally agree with the need to build things. I tried building some patio furniture, but I found that it was substantially more complicated than a total knee replacement.
0: Yeah. My wife says the same thing. Like you work with power tools all the time, but you literally cannot do anything around the house. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where I'm at, but I've become the all time cleaner and uh, the all time dishwasher. And I've taken that role pretty good. I'm like, Rena, I I vacuum every day. it's, it's, uh, It's truly unbelievable. We have two dogs. They've actually, I've noticed stress in one of them through this whole process. Really? He's a mini golden doodle. So he's he's pretty cute. His name's Alfie, but he uh, likes to go to daycare. He's gone to daycare his whole life. So we have like a daycare about three minutes away from our house that we'll drop him off at in the morning and pick him up after work. And he's happy as a clam. And lately we've been noticing that uh, he's been a little bit more docile, kind of going off by himself and just needing, mm-hmm. needing some time away from us. So that's been interesting <laughs> to see too.
2: Mari, how about you? Has a- well, my husband's a germaphobe, so, so he does a mm-hmm. lot of the cleaning. I taught my kids how to clean the toilets, so I think that's a win. <laughs> I think we're just kind of not used to being around each other this much. I mean, we've been together for 20 years, but, oh, 23, but we're not used to being together this much with our families, so I think giving each other space is helpful for just, you know,
1: overhelping each other, <laughs> so helping. Overhelping, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> So I think it's clear that the personal and professional changes have led to feelings of some stress and anxiety and other feelings too. So given this situation, I've been doing a lot of like exercising and walking outside because that makes me feel a, a lot better. How have you guys been managing your stress uh, given the situation?
0: We go for family walks every day with the dogs and my wife and I before the baby was born. And now when the weather's nice, I uh, live in Michigan, that can change minute to minute. But when the weather's been nice, we've taking her for some stroller walks. And then I've been really getting into doing the Peloton workouts and uh, biking. I've had three PRs in this uh, (laughs) time period. So I'm just cruising right along with that. So it's been fun.
3: Uh, One thing that I find that helps to relieve stress is connecting with old friends. I mean, it's amazing. I'm contacting my old friends from med school from way back when and it's like we we just pick up right where we left off. And one nice thing to hear is that they're just as anxious and concerned as I am. I, I don't feel like I'm alone or that I'm crazy and thinking, okay, there is a lot to be anxious about. I'm not being an alarmist. I mean, we're all kind of the same age we all have sort of the same situation in terms of trying to take care of our families we're concerned about getting this virus we're concerned about passing it on to our families but we're also concerned about each other that if i don't go to work and do that hip fracture that means one of my colleagues who is going to end up having Mm -hmm. to do that so we want to kind of share the burden share the load Uh, as as much as we can so it's been very helpful so even though we've had social distancing uh, so to speak we're actually not that distant it's been nice to actually reconnect with old friends we've been getting a lot of phone calls and doing some video calls as well so that's one good thing and Everyone's just really reaching out. I've also noticed a lot of people are just nicer, like at the grocery store or whatever. People are nodding, saying hello, and really doing whatever they can. So this virus, this pandemic will be over. I just hope that the good feelings and the goodwill that's been generated does stay on and that we don't forget the lessons of what this has taught us.
2: Yeah, I agree with everything you guys have been saying too. The you know, the physical activity and those relationships are sort of like the superpower right now. One thing, I guess it's not something I've been adding, but something I'm trying to subtract is just disconnecting a little bit more. When this first started out, I was reading ravenously everything I could. And now I've realized how my stress has increased every time I read another news article. And so I'm really trying to decrease almost no television news, which I've been doing for a while. But you know, now it's even more. And then just trying to read news selectively so that if it's something that's upsetting, I can, you know, walk away versus when it comes at you from a podcast or television, you can't really control it. And decreasing the news has been a little bit helpful for my stress levels. So that's something that I've opted out of, I guess.
1: Dr. Ricker, can you talk about some methods for refocusing this in the situation or reframing it just so that we can all tolerate this abrupt change in a healthier way? I know that's part of your field. Just wondering if you have any comments on that.
2: Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that before I came on. You know, Orthopedics has about a 34% burnout rate at baseline sort of before we went into this um, pandemic, which is lower than the average nationally. So you guys are doing something right. You know, when you think about burnout, there's the Stanford model is three sections. So the personal resiliency and the things that you have inherently in yourself, the organizational culture, and then sort of the operational efficiency of your work. And I think the biggest piece that's missing right now is the work that brings you meaning. And so I think a lot of the things that people have talked about today already on this podcast about ways to bring that meaning back into your work, I think are really key to do that so like you guys are recognizing that you love working with your hands and just trying to remember that and even though you're not physically able to do it right now kind of tapping into those things and i think there needs to be sort of a shift in our minds about like we're out of the adrenaline phase and we're needing to shift into the marathon and the way you train for a sprint and the way you train for a marathon are very differently so the skills that you need to get through the next 12 to 18 months are going to be very different than the skills to get through the past five weeks. So just thinking about as we go back into, you know, you guys are going to have a ton of backlog of patients waiting for you to operate and thinking about when you go into that period of intense work, how to be really thoughtful about how you're using your energy, both physically and emotionally um, to sort of get you through that. And then when you do go back to working like very intense hours, just to kind of keep you know, checking in with yourself and making sure your basic needs are met and, you know, taking breaks and, you know, staying connected in the same ways that you guys are doing right now.
1: Thank you. That's really helpful. Just a couple of other questions. And then I was going to open it up to any other discussions you guys wanted to have. But I wanted to talk about, are you going to be making any personal changes in your life after having all this time to reflect on how you were living your lives pre-virus? Just as an example, I thought about this when I wrote this question, I'm going to hug my friends more and I'm going to be more grateful for hanging out with my friends and family just because I feel like I took a lot of that for granted before this.
3: Definitely, it's going to be maintaining those social connections. And with some of the friends whom I've called now, it's like, wow, it's been years since I've spoken, because obviously, life gets busy for everyone, you get work, get children, any other pursuits. And it's like, it was just really nice to even just take a few minutes to connect with people. I mean, I'm not on social media. So I don't have like, Facebook friends or anything like that. I know. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, right. So it's good to at least maintain a, a circle of friends. And, uh, you know, it's amazing how we could pick up where we left off from like over 20 years ago. So definitely going to try and maintain those social connections. But then even the people that are around us, I'm just so grateful to everyone who's been out there helping. I mean, even like the grocery store workers, it's like these are the same ones I've gone to for like 20 years and they're still out there working just just simply saying thank you. They appreciate that. The garbage collector who comes every week, just again, just being, just showing a, a lot of more gratitude. And we've also gotten a lot of that back. I mean, I was just at the gas station the other day, just happened to be wearing scrubs and the uh, attendant who was there cleaning everything was just so grateful and she didn't know who I was, just saw me wearing scrubs and just said, thank you so much. So again, just hoping the feelings of goodwill will continue. And, uh, you know, one thing I found is now that I've had all this time, I'm actually for the first time getting like seven to eight hours of sleep a night. I'm thinking I haven't done that since I was a teenager. And it's really healthy for me. So uh, I'm a little concerned about when we go back to our sort of normal lives, okay, I'm going to be back up at four in the morning, rounding at the hospital, going to surgery, working, Eighteen hours a day, or something. It's like that wasn't the healthiest thing for me. So, it's going to be an adjustment to try and maintain some good, healthy habits that I have learned during
1: this time. Nice. Hey, Nick, are you getting seven to eight hours of sleep at this point?
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jeez, but yeah. If
1: you, you
2: add all the naps, <laughs> the
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> To her credit, she's a great baby, and to my wife's credit, uh, she's been an, an amazing mom. But yeah, we're taking shifts at night for sure, and we'll get through. Uh, we just—I well. was telling both my brothers about it, and they said, "Yeah, it's it's kind of like taking call, except you're on call every single night." And after a <laughs> while, that does get a little get uh, a little tiring. So, but I echo the same things that Kim and Rena said. I mean, it's just not taking those face-to-face interactions for granted anymore. You know, FaceTime Mm -hmm. and Zoom only do so much for me at this point. And having to FaceTime my mom and and my wife's mom to see the baby has been kind of challenging. They want to be here. They want to hold the baby. They want to... Yesterday, I held a remote control up to my child because they didn't have really a concept of like how big she was. And I just wanted them to see like, she's pretty tiny, actually. And so, you know, just those things, you kind of lose certain perspectives when you do things over the internet um, and over FaceTime. And so, you know, I'm really looking forward to to interacting with somebody just at a restaurant again, you know, not taking that for granted ever again.
2: Absolutely. You know, I think the thing I've noticed the most is, you know, we had this abrupt change where I felt like every time I looked at my phone, something was getting canceled. just was like, oh, that's canceled, that's canceled, that's canceled. Like basically your world was canceled over a two-week period. Um, And it was distressing at first. And now that I'm sort of in this new world of not being quite as busy, I'm recognizing how busy I really was and how overscheduled like I was personally and professionally. And I'm trying to think about how I can commit to less on both a personal and professional level and try and figure out what that balance is going to be. But I'm really enjoying having a little bit more unstructured time with my family so I don't need quite as much as I have right now but I'd like to maintain um, a little bit of that
0: so my question was are we all getting a little too used to this at this point point? and you know no, you're shaking your head no <laughs> me neither I mean I want to operate too but I just can't for some people yeah. think,
1: I guess is pretty nice I'm sure it comes with challenges for everybody but yes I miss my mallet for sure mm-hmm. <laughs> that could be the quote of the episode. I miss right. my mallet. <laughs> the t- Title, episode title. <laughs> so just one more topic I want to just mention. I was directed to a podcast by Mari earlier this week that was by an author, David Kessler, who's a grief specialist. And he mentioned that with this viral pandemic, that we've really experienced a collective loss of our world before the virus. And I think that's been a really interesting way to look at this and that we've been physically isolated from this situation. But as you guys have all mentioned, we don't have to be emotionally isolated, but that we do need to go through this loss and actually feel it in order to eventually get some meaning from this loss. And I just wanted to see if you guys had any thoughts on that, or I hadn't even been able to name this before. And I do feel like that was a really good name for this. It's grief. It's grief that I'm experiencing right now over my pre-viral life.
2: Kim, I really appreciate that perspective and Thinking about the collective loss that we're experiencing as a world helps me when I encounter other people who are maybe grieving in a different way. One example was recently chatting with the residents who are gonna have their graduation canceled. And if we, we look at all the things that are being canceled and all the illness and furloughs and losses, maybe that's not the highest one, but for a resident who's been working for many years to this goal, that's a really important ritual. And so really trying to recognize that everyone's experiencing different losses, and they're all legitimate losses, and just noticing that people might be reacting in different ways and just honoring whatever that way is that they're reacting.
0: That definitely hits home the way you phrase it. I mean, everybody's going to go through something during this time. And whether it seems minuscule to somebody, it's not to that person period and taking a step back and realizing that that's what's happening as we come out of this on the other side we can use it to talk about those things and see how people struggle during this time and it's just so much to think about
1: definitely I wanted to kind of end on a positive note too and if you guys could just tell me something that you're grateful for in this moment of loss and tragedy that we're experiencing do you have anything that you're grateful for
0: I'm very grateful for my new daughter and my wife and that they are happy and healthy.
3: I'm really grateful for my friends and family now more than ever. And even in this crazy time and this horrible thing that has happened to the world, I'm grateful for the clean air. I I notice things, or maybe it was always
2: there before, but I notice when it's a sunny day. I'm grateful for the rain. I'm grateful for the trees. Just grateful that I can physically move my body and that I live in a place where I can do it most any time of the day
1: that's awesome well i'd like to thank uh dr ricker millador and dr jane for being part of this discussion really appreciate your time and your candor in discussing these difficult topics
0: thank you for joining us for acus amplified visit aahks.org to learn more about how members of the american association of hip and knee surgeons educate advocate and investigate in the field of hip and knee replacement surgery